You're listening to audio from Red Rocks Baptist Church. For more information about our church, visit our website at redrocksbaptist.org or follow us on Instagram at redrocksbaptist. All right, let's go to Job chapter 42. And we are going to use as our text today Job's prayer beginning in verse uh, 1 here and go through verse 6. If you follow along as I read. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that your spirit would descend upon our hearts that you would wean us from earth and through all our pulses move. Certainly today comes with many distractions as we prepare to celebrate the end of 2023 and and the beginning of a new year tomorrow. And many of us have plans that are on our minds. And I pray that you would help us in the next few moments to put those things aside so that we can understand the word of God as it's preached. I pray that you would plant it deep in our hearts and that you would use the word of God in spite of the lips that proclaim it today. We, uh, we are under no illusion that we are listening to the greatest orator, but we are listening to the greatest book. And it is taught by a great God And I pray that you would use it in our lives today and in the future for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, most of us are familiar enough with the book of Job. It is believed that this is the oldest book in the entire Bible. And Job is introduced in the very first verse of the book of Job as a blameless an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. If a book is written on your life after you pass away, how many of us would be very, very pleased if that's how we were remembered? That we were a blameless and upright person One who feared God and shunned evil. But that wasn't just the the words that Job was remembered by, by his family. It wasn't part of what somebody wrote at his funeral to make him out as a better person than he was. It wasn't what his co-workers or his servants or his neighbors 
That wasn't their assessment. We have to move down a few verses in Job chapter 1 before we find out whose assessment that was. Do you remember? It was God's assessment. Because Satan came before God and said, said, uh, I've been walking around here looking up and down this earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? Job is blameless and upright, one who fears God and shuns evil. That was God's assessment of Job. And God didn't say it just one time. We go to the next chapter, chapter 2. After Job has lost everything, and yet he refuses to curse God. And Satan says... um, Can we have another shot at him? And God says, you can, just don't take his life. Because Job is an upright and blameless man. One who fears God and shuns evil. If we were to say, let's make that our New Year's resolution this year. It would be very fitting for for believers everywhere to say, that's what I aspire to. And by God's help, I can do this. As he gives me strength. We mentioned that Satan comes to God and alleges that the only reason that Job is blameless and upright is because God has favored him by blessing him so richly. He blessed him so much that we read in Job 1.3 that, that he was the greatest of all the people of the East. And so... God permits Satan to have his way in Job's life. And soon after, servants bring Job news that his livestock has all been stolen or destroyed. All of his servants have been murdered and his children crushed to death in a windstorm. But Satan has more up his sleeve and he afflicts Job from head to toe with with boils that are, are, are afflicting him. And there's more. Because with friends like Job had, who needs enemies, right? And Job's three friends come to offer counsel to Job as to the cause of his suffering. And you remember what they attribute his suffering to. They say, Job... You've sinned somewhere along the line. And and this sin is what God is judging. Either it's a sin that you committed that you, you weren't aware that you were committing, or it's a sin that you know perfectly well what it's all about, and you are refusing to come to terms with it. You are refusing to repent of that sin and make it right with the Lord. And that's why you are being afflicted in this way. This debate between Job and these three friends lasts for 29 chapters. And this is where many of us really get lost in our reading of Job. We, we aren't sure exactly what's going on. But we know that eventually Job challenges God to put him to the test. 
Job 23.10, Job says, he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I know what the verdict will be. I'll come forth like gold. How does God respond to Job? Well, he listens, and then he starts to ask questions in verses or in chapters 38 through 40. And on the surface, as you read these chapters, nothing that God asks or nothing that he says seems to directly address the arguments that Job and his friends have made. He doesn't explain the reasons Job has suffered. He doesn't let them in on the debate that had happened in heaven between Satan and God where God had given Satan permission to afflict Job. God doesn't apologize for letting things kind of get out of hand. Going further than God ever intended for them to go, oops, my mistake. He doesn't say that. He doesn't make promises that just hang in there a little bit longer. Things will get better by and by. Instead, he begins to question Job for four chapters. Uh, he um, just fires these questions at him. He doesn't give him really an opportunity to answer. But once, he gives him that opportunity. But this is a reminder that the theme of Job isn't about suffering, necessarily, or about having a lot of patience as we go through trials in this life. The theme of Job is about God and our relationship with him, trusting him in submissive faith based on what we know to be true about him. Even when the circumstances scream something else that maybe God has lost touch with reality. Maybe he doesn't really love me like he said he did. And maybe he's not sovereign. He couldn't put a stop to what I'm going through and he chooses not to. He must not be a good God at all. And this is where we find Job in our text today. Verse 1 says, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. That word withheld means thwarted or restrained. Job isn't simply making an objective theological statement here as our children often do in Sunday school, where they sing, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And in childlike faith, they believe it, and they sing it, and they love that song. They sing it often, and they sing it with full voice. 
but then they grow up. And that song seems to go by the wayside for so many Christians. They don't believe it anymore that their God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. No, Job, Job understood this mentally. In fact, in the, in the chapters of debate, we read him attesting to that fact that his God is big and strong and mighty and that he can do anything. But the second part of verse 2 clarifies the point Job is trying to make. You could paraphrase the entire verse this way. I know that you can do anything you want to do. I know that you can do anything you want to do. This is not a theoretical statement on Job's part any longer. Not only can God do whatever he pleases, in actuality he does whatever he chooses to do. He purposes what he pleases and performs what he purposes. Our God is sovereign. And if we turn back to Job 40, God makes the following statements in chapter 40 and chapter 41 that help Job understand that God was sovereign. And we would do well to remember these things. First of all, God tells Job that he's extremely unable to do his job, to do God's job in dealing with men in their wickedness. Look, please, at verse 9 of Job 40. Job 49. God asks, Have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in hidden darkness. Then I will confess to you that your own right hand can save you. In verse 15, God introduces Behemoth and explains that he has equipped Behemoth, and we read about Leviathan in the next chapter. that they are better equipped to take care of the wicked than Job is. So in regards to God's sovereignty, God tells Job that he's extremely unable to do God's job of dealing with men in their wickedness. Secondly, in Job 40.19, we read that Job has no power over one of these beasts that only God does. Look what God says in verse 19, Job 40, 19, he is the first of the ways of God. Only he who made him can bring near his sword. 
thirdly, if Job has no power over a dumb brute beast, how does he have any chance of standing against God who made them? The answer is he doesn't. But look at Job 41 and verse 10. Job 41.10, we've switched from behemoth to Leviathan, and here's what God says. No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me? And lastly, in regards to to, uh, God's sovereignty, God teaches Job that he, he doesn't have any argument that he could possibly bring up that would obligate God to do anything when everything belongs to God anyway. What pride Job was, was speaking about when he thought that God owed him an answer. And we see in Job 41, verse 11, We, we see that God asks this, who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. It all belongs to God, even down to the smallest molecule. R.C. Sproul, who, who preached his last message uh, a few years ago, um, I, I listened to that message this morning, and he was often quoted as saying, if there is one single molecule in the universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. Everything under heaven is mine, God says. One theologian said, anyone who cannot undertake God's works has no right to undermine God's ways. Can you do what God does? No, you can't. No one can. And anyone who trembles at the sight of a fierce beast is unwise in boldly contending with the beast's maker. None of us would appreciate coming across a grizzly bear on a trail, a moose on a trail, a Canadian on a a trail. Uh, we We would be frightened if we would see Uh, uh, a fierce animal growling, heading our way, or something that big, a a moose, Uh, we would be frightened. And yet so many people that would be frightened by a beast that God has made shake their fists in the hands, in in the eyes, in the face of an almighty God saying, I'm not gonna do what you want me to do. How foolish. And so Job gets to the place here in our text that he bows in worship to his God. He's been brought to the point now 
of being satisfied and content with God being God and Job being Job. Verse 3 of our text. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, or a better translation would be surely, surely I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. And Job is but repeating a challenge that God had initially made to Job back in Job 38. If you'll turn back there, let's read verses 2 and 3. Job 38, 2 and 3, God asks, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, prepare yourself like a man. I will question you. And you shall answer me. Instead of interpreting his circumstances in light of what he knew to be true about God, Job confesses that he had interpreted God in light of the circumstances he was experiencing. And all of us here at one time or another have done that. Where we, we know what God's like, because of what he's doing to me right now. He's mean. He's not good. He's trying to get even with me. He's trying to exact revenge. He's punishing me. He's doing all these things. Instead of interpreting our circumstances by what we know to be true about God. I like how other translators have worded verse 3. My favorite one is this one. You asked why I talk so much when I know so little. Another translation says, You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? Another, who is, you asked, who is this who obscures my plans? And Job's confession in speaking without knowing all the facts is a lesson to you and to me. Beware, said one theologian, beware that the authority of your opinions does not exceed your knowledge of the facts. We have a puffed up view of how much we know. When in reality, we don't know very much when it comes to the workings of God. But yet we love to voice our own opinion. And we think, here's the Bible, and our opinion might just be slightly above it. But what does Paul say in Romans 12, 16? He says, do not be wise in your own opinion. Do not be wise in your own opinions. We must be careful of this. All of us have a propensity toward this, don't we? Job continues. Verse 4. Job 42.4 says, Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you, 
and you shall answer me. Turn back to Job chapter 40 because God did give Job a a previous opportunity to respond to God's questions. Look at verse 3, Job 40 verse 3. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I've spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. But now in our text, Job's at the point where he can answer. He's ready to speak, and he begs that God would give him another opportunity, another chance, a second chance to make things right. And here's what Job says in Job 42, verse 5. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. He's saying, I had only heard of you before, but it didn't give me the full picture of what you were actually like. By comparison to what he knew now, his understanding of God was merely a second-hand knowledge. Strong defines this phrase, hearing of the ear, as the idea of hearing a rumor or hearing something secondhand, only through the grapevine, without a first-hand knowledge of the situation. But he continues, but now my eye sees you. He doesn't say, now my eye sees, I get it now. I mean... (laughs) I know why you're doing what you're doing. I understand it. Thank you very much. I think I've grown through this, and now I'll be all better. No, he just says, now my eye sees you, not with a physical sight. As Paul tells us in Corinthians, where he says our physical sight is, we can only see Physically, what is temporary? But Paul says, we are, we are striving to see things with an eternal perspective, a spiritual sight that supernaturally sees what God wants us to see. In his book, Not By Chance, Leighton Talbert says, accepting all of God's word as it stands And waiting till we see him to have all our questions answered is the essence of theological humility. We have a... uh, That's in short supply among believers today. And shame on us when we think we've got it all under... I mean, we know what God meant when he said this. He will tell us what we are supposed to believe in his word and we are thankful that many of the things he tells us are easy to understand, sometimes hard to carry out in our sanctification process. But there are many things that people say, I've got the answer. And so they espouse a lot of foolishness. And what we need to realize is that that theological humility 
is something that is so necessary among, uh, among church members today, among believers. We need to accept all that God's word says and wait till we see God face to face to have all our questions answered. That's the essence of theological humility. And Job continues then in this attitude of humility in verse 6 where he says, Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Only a few translations use the word myself after abhor because it's not in the original Hebrew. So why is it included? Is Job wallowing in self-pity, confessing that he's just a terrible person and, and uh, uh, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going to go eat worms, as we used to say maybe when we were younger. Uh, now we just eat chocolate. So um, many translators and commentators say that what Job is abhorring is not himself, but what? His inappropriate words in which he was arguing his case against God. I give witness, Job is saying, that what I said is false. I retract it. I take back everything I said. But then Job takes one more step in his humility. He says, I repent in dust and ashes. Now what is he repenting of? Is he acknowledging that his three friends have have been right all along? When they said, you're suffering because of your sin. And so Job here in Job 42 is saying, I repent. No, he's not repenting for those sins. He's not suffering because of his sin. But he's repenting of his response to his suffering that had been sinful. How had it been sinful? Well, he had made God out to be one. The one at fault and deserving of condemnation, and he had been ignorantly verbose in those claims. It's not until much later that Solomon writes in Proverbs 10, verse 19, he says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 17, 27, and 28 he who has, no, who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered per, uh, perceptive. And so Job repents, honestly and humbly. And it's then that he finds peace. What else has changed in Job's life? Nothing. It's not until later in Job chapter 42 that he's healed, that he gets back some of the things that were lost uh, at the beginning of the book. And yet he is satisfied. Now the skeptic may hear Job's story and may push back. God did all this to Job? And Job's having to be the one to apologize? That just doesn't make sense. This is a normal response from one who doesn't know God well. If they know him at all. 
The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. So today, if you don't know God at all, perhaps you're thinking this. Why is Job having to apologize? For the same reason that you and I have to come before a holy God and repent of our sin. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, my sin's not as bad as that other person's. But because of our sin, we deserve to be punished for it for all eternity. And, and yet God made a way in his mercy and in his grace by sending Jesus who died for our sins and rose again that we did not have to spend eternity apart from him in hell. So I would urge, if you are here today and don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, that you take heart to what he says in his word that unless you repent, you will perish. Won't you come to him today and repent of your sins and trust him as your savior? That's the only way that you will understand some of these things that Job finally got to the point of understanding here in our chapter, in our text. We all have fallen in times into times where we claim that we deserve rights that only belong to God and how sweet it is to come in time, as Job did, to realize that it's better to know God and trust him in whatever happens to us. Leighton Talbert, who I mentioned earlier, said, to believe God with or without evidence simply because he has spoken. To submit to God with or without understanding because he is both sovereign and good and to worship God with or without reward because he's worthy, delivers a peace that surpasses understanding and baffles unbelievers, instructs angels, and glorifies God. This message, in a sense, is to commit today to understand who is behind all that happens every day of our lives. Our initial responses to the trials of life today shows how far we are in doing this, or how, how hopefully we're getting victory in this area when, when we are faced with struggles. And we will face those this year. How we respond tells us how close we are to the heart of Job here in our text. Spurgeon said, Providence is wonderfully intricate. You want always to see through providence, do you not? You never will, I assure you. You have not eyes good enough. You want to see what good that affliction was to you. You must believe it. You want to see how it can bring good to your soul. You may be enabled in a little time, but you cannot see it now. You must believe it. Honor God by trusting him. End of quote. This is a worthy New Year's resolution. Honor God by trusting him. And may God give us grace to believe 
when we cannot see. Because we believe that God is good and that he will never lose control of the situation. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we are grateful today that you have brought our attention to this person, Job. One day we will see him in heaven if we have placed our faith in Christ and we look forward to talking to him. We have an opportunity now, based on what he went through, to put into practice the things that he learned. Uh, he saw them, or, the, or he heard of them by the hearing of the ear. Forgive us for stopping our knowledge of our sovereign God just by what we hear. Give us eyes of faith to see. Give us a heart that believes that you are always good. Help us to rejoice in you this year in the victory you give in this area. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to audio from Red Rocks Baptist Church. If you enjoy this content, please consider sharing it with others. Our mission at Red Rocks Baptist Church is to know Christ and to make him known. May God bless you as you follow him.